Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation! Nice, man. That was creative. I don't know if that was meant to be a robot voice or if I was just belting out a Broadway musical or if it was just something in between. I, I really had no idea where I was going to go with it. But It sounded kind of like an android trying to sing an early 2000s pop punk song. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. That's a... Uh... We, we're in an age where we've exhausted all creative options, and that's why the only thing we can do is mix and match things. That's why <laughs> when we look at new potato chip flavors now, everything is a hot Cheeto version of flaming a hot. chip. A flaming hot version of a chip that exists. That's why we have flaming hot Funyuns and flaming hot, uh, uh, what are those called? ridges or whatever <laughs> flippy hot pringles ruffles exactly yeah. we've we're we're in a era where we are just creatively bankrupt as a whole so you saying that you don't enjoy those flaming hot chip flavors i enjoy those flaming hot chip flavors but i'm not under any illusion that that is anything new yeah yeah that's fair what did I see the other day? The other day, I actually saw a bag of chips that were that, that were Ruffles, but they were Funyun-flavored Ruffles. So, you know, Funyuns already exist, but they just applied it to a Ruffle chip. See? Zero yeah. creativity. Zero cre- creativity. Funyuns meets Ruffles. Exactly. Exactly. That's why we are in exact the kind of combination age. that you hate because of the laziness of it. <laughs> lack of creativity exactly we are in the stupidest age Mm -hmm. yep welcome to between the gutters where we talk about the story within the panels i'm your co-host albert and with us is our other co-host what's up everybody i'm the other co-host drew wow that was anticlimactic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you are expecting too much out of me my friend drew you, hold, you, you drew the wound. Me... should drew i do another uh, take on that no no i believe in only doing one take ever because it is my nature never to apologize for anything okay that's yeah that's true <laughs> yeah well, well actually i think i feel like i've heard you apologize in the past so uh, i guess i just need to assume that all of those apologies were insincere i think that's fair okay okay i'm willing to apologize i'm just not willing to mean it got it okay (laughs) (laughs) that is the Tao of bert that is my ethos (laughs) i have no problem apologizing for nothing because it cost me nothing but if you ask me to believe it now that that's a task yeah that's a heavy price 
Exactly. Exactly. It really costs nothing when you mean nothing. Exactly. Exactly. See, you get it. You got me. You get me. I gets it. I gets it. <laughs> Anyways, in today's episode, we are going to do a review of Smile. Smile. <laughs> Drew, I don't know where I was going to that. Do you mind letting our good people know? Who worked on Smile? The people behind it? Smile is a graphic novel for middle grade readers, but really any reader. And it's by Raina Telgemeier with color by Stephanie Yu. Smile was originally published in February of 2010 by Graphics, which is an imprint of Scholastic Books. It was originally serialized as a webcomic on a website called Girlomatic. I've never read the webcomic version. I'm only familiar with the popular published hard copy version edition of it. But yeah, Smile by Raina Telgemeier. It's a pretty massive book, pretty big book that I think... People who are older may not necessarily recognize because it's easy to just look at it and write it off as, you know, a comic for kids or whatever. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of comic of the comics landscape, I think it's actually one of the most significant books of the past 15 years or so. I feel like it's a book that sort of broke a lot of new ground and maybe even could be indicative of a newer age of comics where, you know, a lot of people were accustomed to the big names like Marvel and DC. They were accustomed to superhero comics. But when this comic came out, it was something that was just such a massive behemoth on its own mm-hmm. that it showed the comics industry that there was another lane available for comics that was just untouched exactly this this lane was the young adult market it's um kids exactly exactly right i i think in the years in the years since those old comics came out like you know the 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 old original supermans and batmans and the fantastic fours and spidermans you know since that era a lot of people have really only associated comics with superheroes and they forget that you can do so much more with it and it wasn't until this comic came out that again it's something that was just such a critical hit in a sales juggernaut that it really reminded the big two publishers that, well, okay, what I was going to say that I drifted away from earlier was that the tendency for comics for the past couple of decades has been to move comics towards something more adult and something more serious. You know, ever since stuff like Watchmen and, and the 80s dark movement, we've been seeing that trajectory for comics to be geared towards taking uh 
you know, otherwise silly concepts on the face of it and trying to take it seriously and make it for adults, right? And mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we live in in the current age. But when Smile came out, it showed us or reminded us rather that, hey, comics is for everybody. And there's a place that where comics can exist for kids, but it doesn't necessarily have to be saccharine or insipid either. You know, you can tell a story that is for kids that doesn't talk down to them and that treats them like they got some brain, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I have a couple of friends who are into, well, no, no, I'm not going to lie. They're not into comics, but in our current age, it's hard to ignore comics. It's hard to deny comics. Uh, even if you've never read a comic, I'm sure most of us know what a Marvel movie is or a DC movie is. And, you know, in our current age, we live in a period of time where they're about to put out a Blue Beetle movie. So at some point, you can talk to a casual, maybe not even a casual fan, just a person off the street, and they can tell you who Shazam slash Captain Marvel is, or they can tell you who Blue Beetle is, right? Mm-hmm. Or Bloodshot. But, yeah, you got Bloodshot, too. <laughs> on all sorts of characters. Spawn is getting a reboot. Blade yeah. is getting a reboot. In spite of all that, if you go to any of them, I, I remember talking to a couple of them about it, and when I mentioned that one of the biggest selling comics uh, of the time was this YA comic from Scholastic, Smile by Raina Talgemeyer, they were pretty surprised by it. It was not something that they had expected. And to be quite honest, I think they were buying a little bit into the narrative that is put out by by certain publications, maybe Gators, that, mm-hmm. oh, Marvel is dying or DC is dying because... Comics are dying. Comics are dying because, you know, they, they're going woke and therefore by the mathematical properties <laughs> of wokeness. They are experiencing brokeness. <laughs> Get wokeness, go brokeness. <laughs> but but when you tell them, well, if you really expand your view of comics as just a medium that is all-inclusive, and you look at manga, and you look at young adult uh, comics, or, or the, the genre of young adult comics you'll see that there's actually a huge market for comics out there. They're Mm -hmm. making a bunch of money. So Mm -hmm. the variety that exists in comics is larger than ever. If anything, it's there's a case to be made that the failure of the big two is that they are limiting themselves to only being that singular lane of comic storytelling, right? Like Mm -hmm. they can tell superhero stories, but what happens when you have, 52 titles and they're all just variations on the same flavor of comic book storytelling and that's what you get yeah exactly you're not really they're not really expanding their audience you know exactly it's like superhero comics are so insular and incestuous that they just constantly cannibalize the same people who have been buying them for the past 30 40 years yeah 
And it's, it's just really hard for them to seem to break new ground. Like you would think that with the advent of the MCU and Marvel superhero characters being popular and, you know, being they names be that... raking in money. Exactly. The, the movies still make money, but the comics, they don't seem to have benefited from the movies at all. Exactly. They're pretty secondary, right? Because mm-hmm. the primary delivery device for Spider-Man is now the big screen. Whereas it used to be that the comics were the main thing. And now that they've been bought up by these giant corporations and just turned into movies, the comics themselves have faded and receded into the background. And there is something sad about that, you know? Yeah. When Smile came out, I think Scholastic realized that there was a big market that they could tap into with kids. I mean, it's Scholastic, man. They got their uh, fingers in in schools and stuff with yeah. those book orders and, and things of that nature. Yeah. The fact that this book did so well in the bookstore market also, it just showed that there was a really big untapped potential audience that was ready to eat up comics yeah yeah i was just gonna say it it just ran antithetical to the belief that so many people had that well the only way that we can market comics is by marketing them to people as something being more quote-unquote realistic and being more quote-unquote adult right um this was showing them that yeah, like you said, that there was this entire untapped market. And for those of you who are listening who don't necessarily know Smile and and uh, in this comic, um, another example that I could point to is something like Captain Underpants. That's something that's just – it's a comic, right? And it, it's got massive appeal in the, the kid market. Yeah. So and, uh, Dogman. Dogman, yeah. Yeah. Those are just a a handful of examples, and those are massive uh, in terms of their sales. Like I don't, I I don't know how they compare to like Marvel DC sales, but it was noticeable enough that when these books came out, Marvel and DC took enough of a notice, and they were aware that they were running behind in that one field, which is sad because these are the two powerhouse names in comics and to realize that, oh, we're actually behind the curve on this. Um, Their course of action was to suddenly pump out a bunch of these YA young adult uh, comic books that were middle grade and middle grade that were aimed towards those audiences using their existing properties. And, you know, there's to this day, they're still trying to, I imagine they're still trying to catch up. DC has been trying to tap into that market. Marvel hasn't really been doing a good job of that. I think they've been pretty blind to reality. Maybe that's going to change now that Perlmutter is gone. But it just seemed like publishing comics was just such a small priority to them that they didn't really care about you know, expanding their audience or anything. In fact... Marvel's uh, barely started to try and do these uh, middle grade and YA comics. And what they 
what they're doing is they, they actually partnered with Scholastic. So they're not even like handling it all completely in-house, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas with DC, they're doing it. They're still publishing it under their own imprints. So They're making a concerted effort to really let you know that, oh, we have yeah. books for these age groups. Yeah, they're trying to expand their audiences a little bit more than Marvel is, I think. DC's yeah. also got some things going on in the webtoon area so i don't know if people who listen to us read anything on webtoon or any of those other other digital comics readers like tapas or something but webtoon is massive among the youth it's it's a an app in case you're not familiar with it it's an app uh run by a korean company that does a lot of uh, comics that are designed for vertical scrolling to be read on your phone or other device and it's something that a lot of young people use today you know it's it's super easy because you can have it in your pocket on in your phone read it anytime you're bored uh, it's free i mean there's definitely a way that they monetize it because if you want to read more chapters of something you can pay for them to read ahead but typically, like most of the series, you get a new episode or chapter every week, and then uh, you can read it for free. But if you want to pay a little bit of money, you can read, you know, five chapters ahead uh, and, you know, really feed yourself, gorge yourself on something. Yeah. But uh, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago now, DC partnered with Webtoon which is the probably the biggest game uh, or biggest name in the Webtoon game. And they launched Batman, Wayne Family Adventures, which is a super fun comic, a really great Batman comic, actually. I think it's probably more interesting, more entertaining than a lot of the actual comics that see print. But when you look at the numbers on Wayne Family Adventures, I'm looking at it right now on my app, and it's got 1.2 million subscribers. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and overall the chapters have been viewed 78.8 million times. I mean, if you if just for comparison, when comics sell about a hundred thousand, they consider that like a big. That's yeah, that's high for them, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, granted, those 1.8 million, maybe not every, probably not the majority of them. I mean, I would guess that a very small minority of those 1.8 million are actually paying any money to read ahead. Yeah. But, you know, just the fact that that many people are interested in Batman, you know, I feel like that says a lot. It's, I think, if you look at comics, it's easy to assume that because these are books that they produce on a regular basis and as long as they keep putting them out there's really no way to innovate i think that's the assumption because people are just going to keep buying books right but this is webtoons is is a sign that there are ways to go meet your audiences where they're at and or to find rent, a new audience or find new audience right and sometimes a bunch of these ideas can be gambles where, you know, you're you're always going to have the possibility that you're going to try to take a swing at something that isn't going to hit. But 
if you don't try, then you're you're going to get stagnant. You're not going to reach new people. And, you know, you're going to just relegate yourself to to becoming obsolete. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Even though there aren't necessarily I, I would wager that the amount of people that are actually spending money on it is probably really low. But if you just consider it or look through it through a lens of promotion, if you look at it as, well, these are a million, seven, seven million people that are reading this. These are seven million people that will grow up or that will appreciate Batman moving forward, right? And what they yeah. do with that, that goodwill you you can leverage that towards you know growing your company growing the brand of Batman somewhere down the line exactly it's an like, investment exactly exactly a lot of the kids reading now they might not have that disposable income in the moment but you know you it's like anything you wait like another 10 15 years when they grow up and have jobs of their own exactly. they'll have fond memories a bunch of them will have fond memories of batman maybe they'll be more interested in reading an adult oriented batman comic or yeah you know just more batman products in general so it's hard to like really measure how important that is in the moment absolutely I, i feel like common sense would say yeah that's a pretty good success for them right now it's a long game right and mm-hmm. what ends up so it's like you said, the kids that are reading it now, at some point that when they get old enough, assuming that the Webtoon version of Batman is around, they will have disposable income of their own. They can look at that with a fondness and they will recognize that that as their Batman, the Webtoon's version of Batman. And that is something that you can build a market for because the foundation has been set has been laid and you can yeah you know i don't know sell omnibuses of the webtoons <laughs> or uh you know maybe convert the webtoon story into shows or movies or whatever but like you what you're doing is you're laying the foundation so that this new audience that is watching batman will have some angle into the character outside of the very singular uh lane for batman that has existed for so long which is comics yeah uh, or you know, purely standard. the direct market exactly exactly so yeah you want to be you want to be out there you want to be in different things um that's why we got bat pogs out there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> because for somebody out there there's a there's a kid out there who, who's an adult now Who's just dreaming of his bat pogs? <laughs> yep, yep. There's somebody out there where bat pogs was his gateway to Batman. Yeah. <laughs> fandom. He was a pog kid first, and he was like, "I love pogs so much." And he looked at this, and he was like, "This this pog has a picture of a guy in a bat suit on it. What is this?" And that's how he got into Batman. <laughs> exactly. If you are that person. Reach out to us. We would love to hear your story. I would be fascinated by this. You you are an anomaly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, recently DC actually did announce that they would be doing a print version collecting some of the earlier chapters of Wayne Family Adventures. 
I think it's supposed to come out later this year, either in the summer or maybe later towards the end of the year. But I'd be very curious and interested to see how the sales on that turned out to be. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it's something that apparently has a massive readership. And uh... yeah, the question is, will that readership, will would they actually be willing to spend money to buy a print version of something that they can read for free anytime? Right. right. That's what I'm not sure of. Well, but that's the thing with with something like webtoons and and this might be crass commercialism, but if you just design it the way that they've been doing comics, you can monetize advertisements. It you know, nobody likes a paywall, uh but if you put those same advertisements in a webtoon just so that someone can scroll over it, like that's how they make their money, right? And they can continue to put out these webtoons and cash well, the, in off the, the way advertising. that the webtoons work. I think, from what I understand about webtoon, specifically the webtoon app. Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird because uh, webtoons with an S is like a catch-all name for these infinite scroll digital comics. I guess not infinite, but like vertical scroll. Com- digital comics but oh. webtoon uh as a proper noun is the name of the app that is run by this company called naver the, the korean company that just you know kind of dominates the uh the market game but uh from what i can tell the the comics like you'll, you won't be scrolling through a comic on webtoon you won't be scrolling through a webtoon and come across an ad in the middle of a story. There's like maybe one ad at the end of a chapter. Uh, but then the monetization aspect is if you want to sp- spend coins to unlock chapters that you would otherwise have to wait in order to read. So that that's how they get you. Right, right. But what I just meant was you know, if they wanted to continue to do that and if they put in a couple of ads here or there just so that we could continue to read it for free, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, like, you know, that's that's basically how TV commercials work. Yeah, I'm saying I don't think they even need to do that to yeah. allow us to keep on reading it for free because it's already free. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just meant in in case they wanted... If it's if it's the thing that determines whether they continue to do it or not, so that they can you know quote unquote cash in on it, then yeah, great. Like I'll put up with a couple of ads, uh, you know, if if that means they can just get their money and for the most part leave it alone, right? Yeah, I don't know if that would ever happen because I've I've read quite a few webtoons, and they just don't. That's just not how the app works. They don't put ads in the middle of the story, right? So I think if something is really struggling to make money, then the creators will probably just have to do something else to make a living. You know, like that's as harsh as it is. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But the uh, with something like Batman. I think 
it's already got this big audience and DC supporting it. So I'm assuming that DC is like at least giving some, you know, financial payment to the creators involved in it. Uh, it should be okay as long as the numbers stay up, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, some of the bigger Webtoons, I think I think Webtoon actually pays those creators to continue producing their comic exclusively on Webtoon. But that's, that's like, really hard, you know? It's, like, it's a platform where, like, almost... It's almost like YouTube where... Anybody can put something up on YouTube, but if you want to monetize it, you as the creator want to monetize it, that's not easy, you know? It's, mm. it's the people who are, like, really successful. Like, I forget the name of the person who makes Lore Olympus, but, like, that's a really big one. That's They've done a couple of print collections of that also, which have sold pretty well. But, you know, things like that at the top of the of the algorithm those things will be pretty big money makers mm, mm, mm. yeah well all that to tell you that this entire world of comics does exist out there for those of you who aren't necessarily aware of it if uh, your tunnel vision only makes it so that you're primary awareness is for marvel and dc comics um yeah this this podcast is committed to comics the genre and the medium and we the want medium to of to, comics the medium of comics and we really want to explore all of the various uh styles of comics that are coming out and we want to put attention to it and you know just uh let those of you who are listening you know put give you a little bit of information so that your finger is on the pulse as well and you can go out and explore and learn about new comics on your own uh so yeah uh the comic that we've chosen today was smile by Raina Talgemeyer yeah and just to reiterate this is a book that changed the game uh i think Reina made the middle grade graphic novel a really hot thing. And after Smile came out, we've definitely seen tons of comics aimed at kids be released from Scholastic as well as other publishers. Um, we talked a little bit already about how DC and even Marvel have been trying to get in the game. I think it just can't be underestimated how valuable it is to have comics that kids want to read. Just to know that, like, if you go online and look up stories about or reviews about Smile, you'll definitely see that it is beloved. You know, it, it's a very high-selling book, and it's beloved by kids. And there's just no telling, like, how many of those kids will grow up to be comic book creators themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the kind of thing that can really uh, leave an impact on the medium just to have more kids reading comics at a young age and not just reading them, but loving comics. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain kind of fan out there who feels like comics is just for them. And, you know, they're pretty dismissive of the idea of 
young adult comics as you know the new the new game on the block the the new the sign or the evidence that comics needs to change and evolve in order to survive um and those those are the kind of people who are just going to keep buying the same kind of comics that they're going to buy and they're going to buy 50 number one issues of whatever they're going to buy <laughs> you know just uh the worst kind of uh continuity pornographers who are just really in it for the same stuff that you see over and over again and it's because it makes their world feel safe <laughs> yeah or they're just key collectors or speculators exactly exactly how can you call this a comic there's no venom in this carnage isn't in this <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh here's a little wanna... bit of information about smile and some of its accolades so smile won an eisner award for best publication for teens back in 2011 so that's you know an eisner one of the biggest industry awards it was also the first graphic novel to be a boston globe horn book honor book for nonfiction in 2010 in 2011 it was one of the Young Adult Library Service Association's top 10 graphic novels for teens and a 2011 Association for Library Service to Children notable children's book for middle readers. It was a New York Times bestseller. By 2015, remember, this book came out in 2010. By 2015, Scholastic had 1.5 million copies of Smile in print. And that number has continued to grow in the years since. I did a cursory search online. I didn't find any uh, more recent stats. According to a 2019 New York Times article, collectively speaking, uh, with all of Raina Telgemeier's books, she had 19 million books in print at that point in time. And I'm sure that number has just grown in the four years since that article. So all yeah all all those numbers man and the accolades really just points to what a big impact this book has in comics. Rena's the queen. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yeah, Who else yeah. in comics man has twenty million books in print? Yeah, yeah. And I was gonna add an additional anecdote, which was in order to read this book. I had to go to the library, and it was not easy to get a copy of this. Really? Uh, all the digitals were out, and uh, there were a handful of libraries that had it. So I, I kind of had to go out of my way to, to find it. But even then, it was – I remember I was – I went to the Eureka Valley Library, and I was talking to the librarian, and when I asked her – she knew exactly what book I was asking about, and she was just like, oh, yeah, that's really popular. Yeah. So, you know, it's anecdotal, but, you know, again, it's it's a, it says something when someone who isn't your typical, uh, you know, comics fan or what you 
uh, hey, 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 don't underestimate librarians, man. <laughs> Why you got to underestimate librarians like that, dude? I'm just saying. It's, uh, it's... Dude, li- librarians are the people that buy the comics that we borrow, man. That's true. Well, some librarians. Some librarians. Yeah. 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 But that being said, like, it says something when you can just mention it and they know what's up, you know? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. It's just a sign of just the massive cultural impact that this book has left and you know maybe for a lot of people it's not something that they're super aware of because maybe they just don't have kids yet or you know it's just not in their orbit but yeah a lot of it's i mean like even you and me like we were we weren't really the target audience for this book when it came out we were already too old for it you know yeah in in scare quotes but uh it's just still a book that i think can appeal to adults because it's it's like the perfect example of a story for all ages where maybe it's primarily aimed at a younger person but it's told in a sophisticated enough manner that an older audience audience an older reader can still appreciate and enjoy it yeah, yeah. you know like there's a lot of you know it's like watching a, a kid's animated movie or something where there are some that are just really hard to like as an adult, you can't really sit through them, you know, because yeah. they're so they're too juvenile and there's nothing really in them to to hold your attention as an adult. But then every so often, you know, you'll have. I don't know, like a Wally or something or some other Pixar thing where, yeah, maybe it's aimed at kids, but, you know, it's also for adults in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's like I was saying earlier, it's not something that is insipid or that talks down to the audience it 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 still communicates in simple enough terms that children can understand but Mm -hmm. there is a universality to it where on an emotional level all of us can understand it right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i think well okay i i was i'll save this for later but um well, you know what? Uh, no, I'll, I'll talk about it now. Like one of the things, one of the shows that I've been watching recently is this show called Bluey, which is, uh, it's a it's a show for you know toddlers. Well, maybe not toddlers, like little kids, right? But there's been this online phenomena as of late where adults and parents have actually really uh, glommed onto the show. And part of its appeal is that it's not just a show for kids, but it's also a show for parents to watch with their kids. Um, It was made by young parents who spent a lot of time with their kids watching these shows, and they wanted to watch a show that they could enjoy along with their kids instead of, you know, something like Caillou or something where you just have it on and you just hate every second of your life while it's on because what show is that caillou i don't even know what that is oh yeah um caillou is this canadian kid show that is almost the butt of every joke when you want to talk about just the stupidest the stupidest most basic one note kind of kid show you know it's uh mm, okay yeah 
It's uh, the kid's really annoying. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't, I don't have it in me to really go into what makes the show so bad, except to say that it's just, it's just bottom of the barrel. But yeah. for whatever reason, people kids love something, it. I don't even know if kids love it. <laughs> like they might have <laughs> just put it on because this will occupy their time or whatever. But it it wasn't Arthur or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take your word for it, man. Because uh, in case you listeners don't realize that Albert is a connoisseur of animation, so he watches a lot of animated shows. You got yeah. you can trust his word. <laughs> Well, I did share one episode with Drew, uh, and it was a pretty fantastic episode. If yeah, uh, anyone's I, listening to there's this... There's some Bluey episodes on YouTube. Yeah, it's an episode called Sleepy Time. You should check it out. <sighs> but, yeah, anyway, so I'm kind of curious, Drew. Um, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell my story real quick first. Uh, but mm-hmm. in terms of smile, this was something that was completely not on my radar at all uh the only reason that i was aware of it was because of you uh you had read it and you had a lot of high praise for it and that was something that well you know i trust your judgment i wouldn't do a podcast with you if i didn't so um when you uh, brought it up it's i never i haven't read it and for the purposes of this podcast, this was the first time that I had read it. And mm-hmm. I think part of the thing was that I was just in the mood for a young adult comic, something that wasn't wasn't in the vein of more conventional comics that I've been reading for the past couple of months. Uh, you know, we've read a lot of superhero comics. There's a lot of comics that I don't, I haven't necessarily done for this podcast, just in terms of my general reading. I am just, I read a lot of superhero stuff and I think I was just in the mood for something different. So when we were talking about, uh, you know, podcast topics, I, I thought about it and I was like, why don't we talk about smile? Because you had uh high accolades for it. And as you mentioned, uh, this was just something that was, Impactful. Just such a phenomena that mm-hmm. it was worth discussing. And that was my first exposure to to Smile and Raina Talgemeier. Okay. How did you find out about it? So the funny thing is, is I had actually read some Raina Talgemeier a few years before Smile came out. So do you remember back in the mid-2000s, DC did a couple of Bizarro World and Bizarro Comics hardcovers that were basically anthologies featuring a bunch of random indie and alternative cartoonists. Yeah, I have one of them. Yeah, so in the second one of those, uh, Bizarro World, which came out in 2005, Rena had a short story in that book. It was only, I think, four pages. Uh, It was written by Dave Roman. She did the art. And that was a funny four-page story about uh take your kids to work day at the justice league headquarters so it was a funny story where um i guess every justice leaguer had a kid and you know there's no real backstory about it It, it's just a funny story about these little kids 
uh, whose parents are the Justice League, and they go to visit the headquarters for the first time and, and go on a tour, and you see their little interactions with each other. And, you know, it's, it's just pretty amusing. Like, the, I think the joke that made me laugh was uh, Snapper Carr. He has a son in that story, right? And his his son talks like Punchy from uh, The Intimates last week. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and he's and like the other kids are making fun of his dad because they're like, like why why does your dad talk like that? And why is he always snapping his fingers? And the his son is like, yo, don't be don't be uh making <laughs> fun of my pops like homes. that. <laughs> yeah, come on, Holmes, don't be making fun of my pops like that. He got a he got a speech impediment, yo. <laughs> That 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 tickled me. I gotta admit that. Mm. I don't know if I remembered or identified that work specifically with her at the time, because it was you know just a four pager in an anthology with a bunch of other great people. I do think that her name was familiar to me just because of because of that comic, and you know her her name is just unique. Like I I don't think I've ever heard of anybody else named. Reina spelled that way, and certainly not a Reina Telgemeier. So I remembered seeing her name in that DC book, but I I don't think I, you know, thought about her for years after reading it. And then when Smile came out, I was like, oh yeah, I remember her. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, there was a period of time when I was working at an elementary school. Right before Smile came out, I guess yeah, around that period. And uh, Reina was doing these Babysitter's Club comic book adaptations. So I I do remember seeing those. And I, I think I tried to read some of them because uh, the school had them in the, in the school library. I never really had time to, like, really sit down and finish an entire comic because I was surrounded by kids, you know. <laughs> 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 you were you know, doing I, your I, job <laughs> I had, yeah i had to do my job you know <laughs> and I, I wasn't gonna take those home with me because they didn't belong to me yeah but i remember just seeing them there and i'm like oh okay she's doing these babysitters club comics now um and then eventually smile came out and i recognized her name and i think i don't know if it had exploded yet at that point it, it was probably starting to explode uh and i i think i just picked it up because it was super cheap, man. Uh, at least the edition I got was only $10.99. Heck, maybe in like 40, 50 years from now, if some kid that grew up reading Smile ends up becoming a key collector, I could sell <laughs> my first edition copy of Smile <laughs> to that kid. Because I have a first edition, man. That's a... Uh... I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of conflicting feelings there. On the one hand... <laughs> There, this kid grew up, and you know it, it's a sign that the love of comics will continue on into the future. But on the other hand, this kid grew up to be a speculator, and we spit on those. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know what? It's a graphic novel. So, what if that person is just a book collector who likes collecting first editions of books that he likes? That's still a speculator. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you don't you don't respect those people who collect novels like hardcover well, first edition novels of stuff. Well, okay, okay. If you're right, you're right. If it's not, if the the specific purpose isn't to hoard it 
and uh, you know flip it, flip it and you know uh, retain it for investment value, then okay, sure, fine. All right. There's there's a, a an artist appreciation element to it, right? Where it's like I just love this so much that I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna put it behind glass just so I can, you know, marvel at it every time I walk into my library. So, <laughs> sure, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay. You want to begin our book discussion on Smile? Sure, I can read the synopses that comes with the book, just so... Yeah, the back know. cover? Yeah, the back cover. Sounds good. Are you going to do a, a funny voice, or are you going to be serious and all business? I'm just going to read it, because I don't know if our listeners can tell, but I think I'm going... I'm suffering through allergies or something right now, so I'm particularly stuffy, and I think that stuffiness should count as my voice, my funny, <laughs> silly voice. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Family, friends, boys, dental drama, a true story. Reina just wants to be a normal sixth grader, but one night after Girl Scout, she trips and falls, severely injuring her two front teeth. What follows is a long and frustrating journey with on-again, off-again braces surgery embarrassing headgear, and even a retainer with fake teeth attached. And on top of all that, there's still more to deal with. A major earthquake, boy confusion, and friends who turn out to be not so friendly. Raina's story takes us from middle school to high school, where she discovers her artistic voice, finds out what true friendship really means, and where she can finally smile. But you don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is LeVar Burton on Cameo or something? We should have him read our uh, book (laughs) synopses in the future. (laughs) I bet he's on Cameo. I bet he would do it. (laughs) If we start a Patreon, that's the thing we should spend our money on. Uh, You heard it here, kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Give us your money so that we can hire LeVar Burton to do uh, <laughs> cheap plugs for us. <laughs> so here's a cool thing about Smile that isn't mentioned in the summary. Smile actually takes place in San Francisco. And Raina Telgemeier is only a couple years older than us, a few years older than us. So I actually think as a couple of uh, San Francisco-based podcasters who grew up in the city it's you know even more fun to read a comic that's set in san francisco yeah i feel like okay so we've been reading deadly class on our podcast and that's a story that takes place in san francisco also and i think there are you know locations here and there in the story that are clearly san francisco i think in one of our last episodes we talked about how uh, a couple main characters were having uh, a late night meal at Lucky Penny, which was a pretty well-known, I don't know, even know if it was well-known, but it was well-known to us. Yeah. A, a diner. You lived that, in the city, you knew yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, for the most part, it kind of feels like Deadly Class doesn't really make super close use of the setting or use su- make su- super close, uh, super detailed use of the setting. 
other than a few like establishing shots here and there. Whereas yeah. I, I felt like with Smile, uh, even even though a lot of it takes place, you know, inside a school building, um, I think because the schools that it took place in were familiar to me, it uh, like a lot of the stuff in in this book felt more like San Francisco, and it it was also you know an era when when we grew up also. Yeah. Like the late I mean, 80s and early 90s. Heck, the opening shot of the first page is just this spread, and you see, what is that? Twin Peaks overlooking the city, right? Where yeah. you see the giant uh, radio broadcasting tower. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, you know, for people who don't live here, again, uh, it feels like the thing that people associate with the city is the Golden Gate Bridge. And that's that's just kind of the, I, the the cheap, quick way to communicate. Oh, this is San Francisco. But if you live here, you know that tower. Like, yep. That might be more visible to you on a regular basis. Like, heck, I can look out my window and I see this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But you're right. It's cool because. Some of the events that do take place in here coincide with things that happen in our life because, like you said, she's only a couple of years older than us. So um, there's at one point she her family goes through the 1989. Uh, what's it called? Priya. I, I forget what the name of the earthquake was, but the big earthquake, the big earthquake yeah. that happened here in 1989 and. That was a big, pretty big friggin' deal at the time. Um, you know, it it shut down schools for a couple of days. The city was just all kinds of messed up. Yeah, uh, it was just all over the news, and I still have memories of that stuff. So reading this again did take me back to a time in my life for sure. A time I haven't thought of in a while, actually. Yeah, same here, man. Yeah, I was. I was still pretty young at that point. I was only like six years old during the earthquake, but my I, my memory of it is still fairly vivid because yeah. it was after school and I was in the middle of watching cartoons and I was like, dude, what the heck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm missing I mean, my was, cartoon. It was a big deal. You know, it was just up to that point. I mean, we we live in San Francisco, so we had earthquakes. That, that was, you know, it, it's just kind of a given with the city, but. you never experienced one that had devastated the city quite to that degree because yeah i do remember seeing stuff on the news about how like part of the bay bridge collapsed and Mm -hmm. you know again i don't know what happened to you but i remember like i didn't go to school for like a couple of days after that because school was shut down yeah there were power outages all throughout the city yeah and people were even Again, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I remember my parents were talking were kind of nervous for like rioters and stuff. Uh, they they were like afraid to go downtown even. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was a it was a crazy time. <laughs> I think the thing I remember the most about that earthquake was in the immediate aftermath after things stopped shaking and we didn't have power. Like all the kids in the neighborhood, we all just went out into the street in front of our of where we lived, and like 
it was like the rare time when everybody was like, well, we have nothing to do. There's no cart. We can't watch cartoons yeah. anymore. Yeah. We're going to have to like play outside before the <laughs> sun goes down. I just imagine you walking up to a kid and being like, I guess I can hang out with you. I guess you're as good as TV for now. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're no Nintendo, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like that's another thing that we see in Smile. Reina and her sister play Nintendo. Yeah. The the yeah. original NES, which is definitely a fixture for me when I was growing up. Yeah. And as we're doing this podcast, it it just so coincides with the week where Super Mario comes out in theaters. So that's a nice little touch. Yeah. Super Mario the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that really jumps out at me is that Reyna went to the same high school that I ended up going to. So, I mean, we didn't overlap because she's, I just checked on Wikipedia. She's six years older than me, but she went to Lowell. Uh, and If uh, only she had flunked two, yeah. three years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if only she had flunked three years. <laughs> you guys could have been friends. <laughs> No, but Lowell ends up being a, a big part of the setting in the latter portion of the book. And I got to say, the way that she drew it was very accurate. You know, like, I think the first time I read Smile, I didn't know she went to Lowell. But once I saw it on the page, I was like, whoa, that's my school. And, it, it you know, it's still very recognizable. Even the, even the neighborhood where she's walking... Like, there's a scene when she's, I think it's like the first day of school or something, and she's walking to Lowell for the first time. The the neighborhood that she's walking through, like, that's accurately drawn. Like, she walks by St. Stephen Church, which is, mm. uh, you know, on the same street. So it, it's almost like I can tell, like, which bus she took and which stop she got off at to walk down that street to go to our high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't go to school there, so I didn't really quite have that same connective tissue. I I could look at it from the outside and, you know, like, I don't think I've even actually ever been inside Lowell now that I think about it. <laughs> it's okay. You're not really missing much. That school yeah. was pretty old even when I was there. Yeah, I imagine that it's, you know, just your... It, it's, it's built just like any other school, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, but... Yeah, so so I didn't really have quite the the same reaction that you did. So you know, reading it, I I was just like, I'll I'll take it on face value that she did it justice. <laughs> she did, yeah, she definitely yeah. did. You know, one thing uh, I was gonna mention when we were talking about the earthquake, I forgot to mention it, but there's this one panel during that earthquake scene. And we get a, a little peek into her family's home. And I noticed that they had a fishbowl on their on a shelf in a bookcase. And when I saw that, dude, it it gave me this bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. The idea of putting a fishbowl with filled with water <laughs> on a bookcase. That's a bad idea, dude. <laughs> It, this this just shows you how much 
of uh, a lover of books Drew is because his focus and attention are always centered around <laughs> what could happen to his precious, precious books. <laughs> Dude, if, if that fishbowl spilled, that would have been pretty sad. Like, imagine if you had a fishbowl where you keep your comics, man. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to do that. Drew is a bibliophile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking at the scene now, too, and it it really does take you back. Just the, the, the pages where the earthquake happens, and I, I don't know what you were going through when when the actual thing happened, because it just... It happened so fast, but it was just so intense too at the same time. Yeah. And I like I don't know, like I'm looking at her hugging her sister and everybody just kind of getting into place, but I remember for a couple of days after that, everybody was kind of on edge when even when we did go back to school, I remember I was in third grade at this point and I remember going to school and I was sitting there at I was sitting there on uh, in, in my desk and talking to one of the teachers and or, or to our teacher. And he was sitting on uh, a table. Right. And then this this just shows like the weird sense of humor that kids have. But uh-huh. since he was sitting on a table, you know, it, it's it's a desk. So the two of the kids had snuck up behind him and they grabbed the table and they just shook it really quick. And you just, I just remember him jumping up and just, he just jumped into command mode and he was just like yelling at all the kids, you know, telling them everyone, everybody to get under desk, everybody to like, you know, get prepared. And he turns around and he sees the two kids and he, there's this huge grin just shows up on his face and he's just like, ugh, you, <laughs> you little <laughs> bastards. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty funny. But it's just... It's it's interesting to me how like kids process emotions around these kind of big events. Um, another similar story. This this happened around 9/11, and at this point I was like a teacher at uh at an after school program, and I remember, you know, when 9/11 happened, it was a big deal, and everybody was. You know, they they shut down everything for a couple of days and then they slowly reopened everything back up. But I remember being in this classroom and these kids had these Jenga pieces and they had built this tower and they just. I remember watching them as they knocked the towers down and they were just mimicking what had happened, what had just happened on 9-11. And it's it's bizarre looking at how children like process their thoughts and feelings about these huge traumatic events. You know, they might not necessarily have the words to articulate it, but uh, like that stuff comes out in, in one way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, I guess when you describe that story, it, it kind of makes me wonder if they even felt any trauma from that event or if it was just something where they were just too young to really understand that it was traumatic in the first place and they just kind of like 
you know, something that they saw on TV and now they yeah, can imitate yeah. it with their with their uh, Jenga game. That's true. Um, I think you make a good point that on the surface it just seems like it's a trivialization of it, or maybe they just it, it like you said they're just kind of imitating uh, what they see in life, right? But I do. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. It wouldn't surprise me if they if it's just a matter of them lacking the awareness and the tools to really again articulate what it is that they're observing but mm -hmm. in the sub in the subconscious recesses of their mind there's an understanding that something is happening and that whatever came before this is not normal right this is this is a new normal that they are existing in a new paradigm for what reality is at this point and maybe maybe their response to it isn't necessarily to ball their eyes out or cry about it or whatever but in whatever manner that they need to process this information and cope with it it yeah i i, I don't think it would surprise me too much if that's just their way of again this goes back to what i was saying about uh the show bluey earlier but one of the things that they were saying in, in this interview that i watched about the show was that a lot of the kids they learn through their play right and it and it's this really serious traumatic event but it's also through the act of playing it allows them to work out whatever is going on in their head whether whether it's sadness or just a lack of understanding of whatever the situation may be you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's true yeah it's hard to say i'm not a psychologist man so i'm not a psychologist and i'm definitely not a parent so <laughs> that's that's two areas where i lack the uh ability to even begin to address this Children are mysterious creatures. <laughs> we cannot comprehend their intellect. They're a mystery. They are a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm looking again at that uh, earthquake scene, and specifically page 67, that's where we see the fishbowl in the bookcase. But Reyna's younger brother, he's like riding this little bicycle with training wheels inside the house yeah totally oblivious to the earthquake and their mom is just yelling at him will don't just stand there come here quick you know trying to get him to go in the doorway or duck under the table and he's yeah. just on his bicycle looking at them like huh but that that does remind me of me because because i was like six years old when the earthquake happened and i i was just watching a cartoon in the living room and then i felt at first, I, th I thought that one of my uncles who was staying with us was, like, just stomping his feet or something. And that's why, you know, everything was, like, loud and shaking and stuff. Yeah. And I just kind of, like, sat there continuing to watch TV until my mom started yelling at me to get, get under the table with her. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I was, like, I didn't really think that, or I didn't, it didn't register to my mind that, oh, this is a... Earthquake serious that, thing yeah that could be 
potentially dangerous. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the uh, the follow up pages uh, in the aftermath of the earthquake, and that's that's awakening some more memories in me as well as I'm looking at this. But you mentioned that there were the power outages, and there's this page where they didn't know where their dad was at that point, and they just kind of were sitting in the dark, and you know, they're looking out over the city and the whole city's dark and everyone's just, there's this anxiety that's going on, right? And that that took me back to to what happened, to what I remember happening after the earthquake because I remember that night, again, we didn't have any power, so I just remember we made a big deal of having candles, but there was also this really big anxiety of, well, we don't know what's wrong with the gas mains. We we should be really careful about lighting these candles because, you know, if there's a gas leak or something, we're all dead on top yeah. of it. Yeah. And, you know, as a little kid, being, uh, you know, having that reality foisted upon you, that's that's decently heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty scary. Yeah. And and there's this scene of them. They're just sitting there, look, uh, listening to the radio, like for updates. And I remember that too, because mm-hmm. you know we didn't have TV, so everybody was just like looking for anything just to stay informed. And you know, I remember us finding an old radio, putting these like D batteries in, and just trying to do whatever we could just to stay abreast of the situation. So, yeah, a lot of this really, really is familiar. Yeah, totally. Man, I feel like our uh, conversation so far has been kind of all over the place. It has. (laughs) Let me me, uh, ask you, man, like, what are your overall general thoughts on Smile? It's a good book. It's I I have a lot of affection for it. Like, Like I said, I didn't know anything about it except for what you had told me and Going into it, I just was looking for a pleasant read that would ease my mind and take it away from the typical kind of comics that I was reading. I just wanted something I, – I wanted a pleasant, enjoyable reading experience, and that is exactly what I got. And in reading it, it it did a lot of I, – I think – it did a lot of things for me in that it it hit these notes of uh it it hit these notes where i could view her life and her coming of age story and i could see i guess i could kind of look at that and look back fondly at my own life and growing up in the city so there was definitely an element of nostalgia to it in my reading experience, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of an a- added extra little piece. Um, it definitely helps that she grew up in San Francisco and I grew up in San Francisco. But I'd also say that, again, there are things that are universal about this book, about just growing up in general, that any of us and all of us should be able to relate to on some level and should be able to appreciate about this book. Uh, so I do think that the message of, or, or just viewing her 
her story of what it's like to grow up as uh, a young woman or a young girl. Like, I think it's a positive message. I think uh, it's a positive story. So it's it's definitely I understand why this won an Eisner Award and I understand why this is something that should be recommended to everyone. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about Were you? there any? Oh, for me? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I think it's a book that I just have a lot of respect for, man. It's a book that I think is very well drawn. Like the cartooning is just on point, you know, like even yeah. though uh, her style isn't like the most realistic, just somehow, man, with her, she's still able to capture the city like in a in a way that I don't think I've really seen too many other comics do it. Mm -hmm. um, I do enjoy the cartoony style of it. Like I'm not. You know, we we've seen our more than our fair share of comic book styles, and you know, you mentioned that I do enjoy my fair share of animation and cartoons. So when I do read a comic that has cartoony a cartoony art style, I do appreciate that. It's it just adds to the fun factor of it for me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely. Like her storytelling is really clear, really easy to follow. Anytime there's a scene with a, a bunch of kids, like it, it's always so, the composition of those panels is always so clear where you're not confused about what's important in the in the picture, you know? Like you're always looking at what she wants you to look at. The story flows really well. And, you know, there's some bits that are exaggerated for, for comic effect. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just really well crafted, you know? Mm. Like, I, I think it's interesting to see how there are certain scenes here and there where the craftsmanship is so precise and so... I don't know. I guess the word that comes to mind is is delicate because I'm thinking like of scenes where she's dealing with uh, her crushes or with even with some of her friends at school and like the you know like the emotional stuff that they talk about. Um, those are scenes where I, I guess the way that a lot of artists could draw them, it could be, you know, just talking heads or whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the way that she's, she draws them, you know, there's a liveliness to them. Like for example, uh, just take a look at page 114. And this is when she's talking to one of her friends named Melissa about a boy that she has a crush on in her, her music class. And it's just one page of them talking mm -hmm. about hey you know you should ask him out because valentine's day is coming and you know things like that you know the, the typical conversations that i assume uh teenage girls would have with each other right but then there's like moments where a facial expression just gets cartoony like the the third panel on page 114 where she's like got these gigantic eyes all of a sudden <laughs> but yeah it just says everything you need to know you right like yeah it's a, it just the expression just communicates 
a whole lot. Yeah. And you can tell that she's... She's giddy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then the the fifth panel of the page, when they're sitting down at their desks in class and Reyna's behind her friend, um, and she's reacting to something that, you know, it, in true comic book style, uh, her friend says, hey, you should ask him out for Valentine's Day. But, you know, that when she says that to Reyna, they're in the hallway, and then the next scene is... They're sitting down at their desks, but she's responding to the previous panel. But it's just so smooth that you don't even think about the logistics of having a conversation where, you know, you're talking, walking in a hallway, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, sitting down in your seat. You would think that, Mm. you know, they'd be, she'd be able to answer or respond to something like before they actually walk inside the room. Yeah. Yeah. But, I think because you're just so sucked into the story like that, it's not something that really crosses your mind. It's like one of those scenes where, like in a, I guess in a, a good example that comes to mind is when you're reading a, a, another comic or watching a show or a movie where there's a scene where people are eating uh, a meal together. And usually, you know, when you have a meal with somebody, that's going to take, I don't know if if it's at a restaurant, maybe you're, you'll be sitting down for like 30 or 40 minutes or whatever, maybe even longer, mm-hmm. but obviously they're not going to spend 30 or 40 minutes in, in this the, one setting. Exactly. So they'll have like a few bits of conversation, but as they have like a coherent conversation, you know, the, the meal will be like, they'll be eating pretty quickly and they'll be done with the food and stuff. So it, it kind of reminds me, this scene in the comic kind of reminds me of something like that, where the passage of time uh, isn't super important, but yeah. the conversation that they have, you know, is coherent because the, the conversation connects throughout all of the panels, but it, it just feels like it's the understood that, yeah, the setting changes and time is flowing. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just something about her style of storytelling where you're just so engaged with the writing and the flow of things that yeah like only a true comic book nerd who's trying to analyze a single page of a comic is going to notice those kind of things you know mm-hmm. but it, when when you do take the time to try and figure out the machinery of it it's like magic dude yeah yeah it's like just seeing somebody know how to tell a story like why did she think to have the scene go straight from the hallway into the class like that while they were still talking. I don't know, but it, it's just so well done. You can't help but be sucked into it. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, um, do you want to go over the various themes that are covered within the comic? And we can kind of point out scenes that coincide with some of the bigger ideas that the that the comic or tries to explore how's that sound yeah yeah what were some of the bigger themes that stood out to you in the book so you've got a few bullet points here but i'll try to i think some of them overlap with one another so maybe i'll put them together but one of the things here is body image 
and and teeth, right? Mm-hmm. So the the name of the book is obviously Smile, and it's the inciting event of it is right at the beginning of the story where she's, you know, this young dumb junior high kid messing around, and she ends up tripping and just totally eating it, and her two front teeth get super messed up, jammed into her head. And that kicks off years and years of dental surgery that she's going to have to go through as she tries to correct this. But oddly enough, it's a good starting point for the story because as from this moment forward, moving forward in time, as we follow her dental journey as we see what the dentists are trying to do with her uh, to correct her teeth, we're also experiencing this very delicate time in her life, kind of the most delicate time in her life where something like messed up teeth would have the biggest impact on her because this is a period of time where her body's going through changes. So her image and her body image are more important to her now more than ever as she is growing into a young woman as she's navigating social circles and social status in middle school and high school. Um, you know, it's for everybody who's an adult looking back at this point in your life, it all seems so trivial, but when you're in middle school and when you're in high school, like that's your whole world. It's your whole world. It's a jungle out there. And you're just trying to make it. Everybody is just trying to make it, right? And when something happens to you that makes you stick out from the crowd, you know, it it, it could be social, not suicide, but it could be the death of your social life or whatever, right? It, like it's, it's, so for her to mess up her teeth to the point where she's got these two big gaping holes in her front teeth <laughs> it's pretty funny looking, but, um, you know, understandably to her at the time, I don't think when, when we first start off the story at the time, it doesn't seem like it's a huge deal to her when it first happens. But early on, when she goes to school that the, the you know, the, the following week, you can tell she's super hesitant on page 18. She's super hesitant to enter and uh, you see that everybody's like talking about her or asking about it and even though to everybody else it just seems like oh this is a thing that happened to her that we just want to discuss to her all this attention is just nerve-wracking because it's just everybody looking at her and talking about her and it it doesn't even matter if it comes from a place of concern it's just having this attention focused on you is you know, when you're an awkward preteen, it's it's a weird place to be, you know? Yeah. Yep. And as, as the story progresses and as she goes through her, I'm just going to call it her dental journey, um, you know, over the years, they try to change her teeth several times to try to – they try different ways in order to fix her teeth. And it's her – it's the story of her dealing with the physical discomfort of – these procedures, but also the social discomfort and the mental anguish 
that surrounds having to be this having to 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 look funny compared to everybody else but also compounded by the fact that her body is going through changes and she looks and feels funny she looks and feels funny anyways right so just having messed up teeth on top of that just makes it that much worse yep definitely yeah. Yeah. There's just a, an understandable sense of self-consciousness that she feels because it's, it's pretty relatable, at least for me it is, because I feel like that's how I was also when I was a kid, maybe even somewhat as an adult, just being really self-conscious and, I don't know, neurotic in a way. Yeah. Can't help but be overly concerned with what other people think. And when you're a kid, that feeling is certainly magnified. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all suffer from main character syndrome to some degree. And (laughs) that's just the truth of it, right? But that's, I think that's the beauty of the book is that it captures that feeling of what it's like to have that syndrome and to exist in this world where you're just filled with anxiety from being judged by your peers and from your own personal insecurities and just not knowing how to necessarily navigate those feelings in a way that in the time at the moment doesn't seem like it just feels like you're just doing the best that you can. Yeah, exactly. Like that whole idea, uh, the whole body image theme continues to recur throughout the series or throughout the story too. Because uh, after, even after she uh, leaves middle school and goes to high school, like there's some stuff that happens there where, like, I think it would be like any teenager's nightmare. Like there's a, like the big thing that happens is is the group of friends that she has in high school they're they're basically jerks <laughs> and yeah. and uh like they they make fun of her for carrying all these tooth products like she's got to take care of her teeth and um like it's th- some stuff with her braces that I don't fully understand um cuz I've never had to to you know do all that but she's got all these care products for her braces and her teeth uh with her and every time her friends see it they just make fun of her for it and you know they call her things like dog breath or whatever mm-hmm. and then there's a moment when she's in the courtyard lining up to go to a vending machine behind a couple other people and her friends think it'd be hilarious to just pants her in the yeah. courtyard at lunchtime yeah. and all the other kids are you know milling around and it's it's just one of those things where it's like, man, that's messed up. It's but devastating. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, she's wearing like biker shorts or something underneath. So it's not as bad as it could have been, but it's still pretty bad. Like, yeah. You wouldn't do that to a person, uh, you know, if unless you were in high school, I guess. They even say that in the comic where they 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 treat it like it's not a big deal. They really, they're pretty dismissive of her. 
and they make it sound like it's just a joke just learn to take a joke and you know you you were wearing shorts how you know it wasn't that bad but the point wasn't that it wasn't that bad the point was that you know you shouldn't have been doing you shouldn't have thought it was okay to do that in the first place was the exactly point. <laughs> exactly yeah 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 it, i guess that actually crosses over into one of the other i mean i think i started talking about that scene when we were talking about uh body image because of all the you know how she was self-conscious about carrying all those things to take care of her teeth yeah. but like this whole incident also kind of crosses into some of the other themes as well yeah specifically like friendships and bullying and i'd even like, say growing pains yeah yeah i think the thing about that scene that really strikes me is when you get it it happens towards the end of the book and it's these are friends that she's had with her for a long time and to some degree she's been putting up with their light-hearted quote-unquote light-hearted joking for you know the years that she's known her but it isn't until that happens that she makes this hard break with them and she decides to go out on her own. And mm -hmm. as a result, she ends up making new friends and she she ends up really finding her support system that she's comfortable with. And yeah. I think, yeah, if we're going to explore that, uh, that theme a little more. Um, I think that's something that we don't really consider too often, but I, I think a lot of the times when we look at who we grow up with or the kind of friendships and relationships that we have, we, uh, we presume that they're going to be around forever, but I think the tougher thing that we don't ever consider is that sometimes people change and sometimes it's okay for them to change. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this giant theatrical thing where there's a dagger in your heart or whatever, right? This isn't a Chris Claremont. This isn't a Chris Claremont <laughs> comic, but people just inevitably grow apart sometimes and that's just part of life. Yeah. And she even talks about that towards the end where she she says we still see each other and in the hallways and we, you know, connect about the little things that uh we have a shared you know, past, the shared history and the shared past that we have with one another. But you know, for the most part what happened after that was she found this new support network of friends of people that were supportive of her, that were positive with her. And ultimately, that group ended up being her friends moving forward, you know? So yeah. it's it's something that we don't think about too often, but I, I thought that was a pretty mature way to look at it and to understand that, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're, the people that are around you aren't necessarily going to treat you the way that you like. And if that's the case, 
it's you don't have to be around them anymore. You don't. It's okay to you know it's it's okay to grow up and to move on and go your separate ways. Like there there isn't there's a healthy way to 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 be around people. There are healthier relationships that are out there for you, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you're right. I think this book does do a good job about showing that you can you know drift apart from people and just move on to another group of friends and it doesn't have to be anything super uh, acrimonious or anything you know it's just i feel like it happens to just about everybody i know i definitely had friends that uh you know i grew up with from like kindergarten and we went to high school together and and then we just kind of like drifted apart in high school you know like even though we went to the same even though we went to lowell um you know people change yeah exactly people change and it wasn't anything like negative where he he did something to me or i did something to him it was just we just started hanging out with different friend groups and then like those people ended up becoming our closer friends moving forward even though we were like inseparable back in middle school elementary school you know and that's just how it is there's nothing like mean about it or anything it's a natural part of life but yeah something that i don't think we acknowledge very often because i feel like in a lot of stories and narratives the emphasis is on we're friends forever it's about me familia ride and die you know like that's (laughs) that that that's the uh the more popular consensus consensus narrative because that's that's like the idealized version of what friends exactly gonna be yeah right it's like oh we we were friends as kids and we're we're gonna be friends till the end i'm not saying that that's not a nice notion it is but i think what's far more normal what 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 happens a lot more than we'd like to admit is that people do tend to just change and drift and you know new new relationships are formed and I think that's a good thing about this comic is that it normalizes that as a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it shows you that there's a normal, healthy way that that can happen without everybody, you know, staying in these toxic relationships because, hey, I have to put up with this because, you know, we're friends till the end. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because real friends pants each other in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how you know we're friends, man. If if I'm able to feel comfortable enough with you where I can humiliate you in front of a bunch of strangers, that's how you know we're brothers. <laughs> that's jokes, right? We yeah. got jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think... I, I appreciate that it takes a pretty mature and healthy approach to to that concept of just growing up yeah and it's subtle too yeah i think that's why this is a book that is good for kids to read for young people to read you know it's like a lot of really good fiction fiction uh, i think it, this is a book that helps people build more empathy and understanding you know so like yeah there's like a simple 
after school lesson where you could be like the takeaway from this is if you see someone with braces, don't make fun of them or, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's but the I easy. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, the easy lesson, right? Exactly. Yeah. But there's still a lot of depth in the story just in terms of like, how do you how do you treat people? And, you know, what are these? What are the natural things that happen uh, with growing up? Um, like what you were just saying about drifting apart, being a part of life. Um, another thing I was thinking of was some of her her crushes, or actually, I guess her first crush when she's in middle school, and yeah. I guess she's in seventh grade, and then there's a sixth grader in her music class that she has a crush on yeah. for a while, and you know, it starts off kind of cute, you know, just little kids with some kind of infatuation with each other. And the other, the boy, he seems to, well, he he definitely has a crush on her as well because he ends up giving her uh, a valentine later on. But mm-hmm. the the thing that happens is that like they have this crush for the better part of the school year and then all of a sudden she sees this other boy that she's more interested in than all yeah. of a sudden, you know, she kind of like, she distances herself, she distances from, him. herself from the, the first boy. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of painful to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this overlaps with another theme in the book, which is the idea of school crushes. And I guess that overlaps with the idea of growing up, right? Yeah. Which is, again, if we look at this as a cold, well, not cold hard, but but like a, a, a semi more realistic look at what it's like to grow up in in high school. This is how it, awkward kids can be, man. Yeah, this, I feel like this is a very common experience, which is, you know, again, the more common narrative that you see in a lot of stories is, oh, these two had a crush on each other and they fell in love and that's the way it was and that's the way it'll always be, right? But realistically speaking these first those first crushes that you have are rarely going to be the thing that ends up being a permanent uh fixture in your life right Mm -hmm. and kids are they're full of raging hormones and they're kind of dumb and they're they're just going to follow their emotions wherever they take them and if that's i do appreciate that about this book uh that if this is a uh, an an autobiographical take on her own life story, she doesn't really hold the punches about herself. Like it, it's not something that makes her look good in that scene because she, you know, this she has this little teenage preteen boy who likes her and she kind of likes him back. But the second that you know another kid shows up. She doesn't really address it in an adult way by talking to him. She just goes, well, if I just avoid him, maybe he'll just forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and he tries really hard to, like, be there. And, and the scene that you describe is he gives her this valentine. And the three panels that uh, that follow it 
Well, okay, I'll describe the scene. So they're in music class together, and he gives her, you know, this this gift, and she's holds she's sitting there, and she has it on her lap, and she just goes, "I'll open it later," and she puts it under her chair. You know, her body, her entire body language is just cold to him. There's no real sense of uh, gratitude or appreciation for it. You, it's just uncomfortable, right? Yep. And then there's this one panel on the next page, on page 124, and they're sitting next to each other, but they're facing away. And it's just this pause and silence just hanging in the air. And then the panel that follows that, you see uh, this little kid or this this boy, I forget his name, and he just goes, look, just forget it, okay? And like the expression in his eyes it's cartoony, but it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, and then the final scene, like, everything in the world recedes into the background, and it's just this sort of lightish green uh, uh, just void, and the two of them are just sitting there, and it's just him repeating, just forget it. Yeah, and it's a really subtle thing where uh, initially... Uh, when you look at the scene starting on page 123, the way that the chairs are lined up, they're just sitting side by side next to each other, um, facing the same way. But then by the time you get to the last panel of page 124, and he says, just forget it, uh, their chairs are like angled away from each other too, to really emphasize that there's this rift between them now. Yeah, yeah. And then the following page goes, Sammy never spoke to me again after that. Which I guess I deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's... it's. She could have very well told this story in a way that made her look like the hero or that cleaned it up. But that's the thing about teen crushes and about being in high school is you do stupid things sometimes. Middle and, school. I think she was mi- in seventh grade. Oh, yeah. In middle school. Well... Middle school, high school, like, at that point, you're just, you're still just learning to be a person, and you're you're going to make decisions that you're not necessarily proud of, and clearly, like, presuming that this was a real thing that she did, or some version of it, it was an experience that stuck with her, mm-hmm. and, you know, really impacted her to to the point where she still remembers it to this day. Yeah. There's a story one of my friends told me that I thought about after reading this scene. I'll keep his identity anonymous, even though there's a good chance he won't be listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> but he once told me a story of when he was in middle school, he had a crush on a girl in his class. And I believe he either bought her a balloon or maybe some chocolates or something. I don't remember if it was Valentine's Day specifically or her birthday or just, you know, him trying to like woo her. But I remember he got her a little gift and then uh, gave it to her in class. And he just straight up said, hey, I like you. And then the girl was like, "Uh, can we talk about this later? And then after that, (laughs) they never spoke to each other again. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah middle school man <laughs> yeah we're not emotionally equipped 
to like deal with these sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just not. <laughs> oh man. Were there any other moments that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I was gonna go back to the idea of uh, friendship and bullying, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I do think it's interesting how throughout the majority of the book she does put up with her so-called friends in a pretty she's pretty what's the word uh patient with them i guess yeah or or at the very least tolerant yeah she she tolerates suffering she puts up with it because you know they're her friends and there's this one scene here where you know they they have this slumber party and they're taking this information that she's given them about how she likes this new kid Sean and how she's really into him and they they use it as an excuse to dress her up and put her in makeup and they're just like oh yeah we heard he really likes this and he really likes it uh, girls that have a lot of makeup blah 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 all this and that and she totally like buys into it and by the end of their little makeover session. She just looks, well, yeah, she just looks kind of gross, right? Like a clown. And, uh, not a literal clown, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Metaphorical clown. Metaphorical clown, right? She's so, been clowned. Yeah, exactly. But by the end of it, they're like, you are going to be like hot stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then they can't hold it any longer. And they're just laughing at her. And she's she's standing there like, wait a minute. <laughs> And it's a funny little scene, but when you put it in the context of everything that it builds up to, it it really doesn't put her friends in a good light. It is pretty mean spirited, and and kids are can be pretty mean spirited to one another. It's it's par for the course of just growing up, and I don't know. I think, I think a lot of children enjoy the perceived inferiority of their closest friends yeah meaning that i think kids gravitate towards people that they feel superior to it's a power thing too right yeah where it's like maybe you don't recognize it at the time but in the moment you're chasing this sense of power that you have over the situation and you don't necessarily recognize that it's to the detriment of the person that you're doing it to, the, this person that's your so-called friend, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the moment you can tell yourself from this position, from from the position of the person joking or making fun of this person, like, it's fine because we're friends. But it isn't until you're on the other side of it and that you're continually receiving this sort of treatment that it, it it really gets tiresome it really gets old totally yeah yeah definitely yeah and yeah by the end of it she's she's pretty done with it she gives them she gives them what for and and it all it all culminates in that scene that we were talking about with her just telling them that she doesn't want to be friends with them anymore and she just decides to go out into the world and she naturally just begins to make new friends out in the world yeah and yeah this is right after they uh pantsed her 
Yeah, yeah. And the thing about it is, it happens towards the end of the book, and it coincides with the end of her dental journey, right? So, yeah. Uh, up to this point, up to this point, she's she's come a long way to get here. But by the time we get to the last chapter, um, she is she has fixed her teeth. The braces are coming off. And, you know, it it all fits together perfectly because she's growing into herself as a person. And when her braces finally come off, this whole time throughout the entirety of the book, she's been waiting for the moment where she can finally get these things off and she can, you know, look normal or mm-hmm. what she believes is normal. And the funny thing is when her braces come off, she just feels weird because she's been so accustomed to having these braces on for such a long time. And I, I thought that was a nice little, I don't know, symbol, I guess, of, of what it means to, to, to grow up, to, to be where you are and still not, and recognize that you're not necessarily ever going to be fully mature or adult, but you know, you were there and now you're here. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And there is something kind of bittersweet about it, too, because she's been with this dentist for a whole bunch of years at this point. And he, in his final moments with her, says, well, normally I'm just a kid's dentist, but because of the circumstances of what happened to you, I've stuck with you way longer than I would have normally. But now that we're done you can start going to an adult dentist and we don't really have to see each other anymore. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was a pretty bittersweet moment because again, this, this dentist kind of symbolizes everything that's bugged her up to this point about having braces. He's the manifestation of this, of these braces that are just the bane of her existence and now that she is where she is in her life, when she took the braces off, she felt uncomfortable with them off. She felt that she didn't look right. And on top of that, she's moving away from this guy that she initially had felt, you know, resentment towards or or associated this discomfort with, right? Yeah. And it's just more and more of this change as she's, progressing into adulthood so Mm -hmm. i thought that was nice little uh scene to put in yeah i agree man and it is subtle you know it's something where a lot of these or i guess like the main thing the main symbolism of removing the braces and and like growing up is something that coincides with her finding her artistic voice, uh, like doing art for the school dance, and then finding a group of friends that don't treat her. Yeah, exactly. That are that treat her a lot better. Um, I hadn't really thought about that as I was reading it, but now that you mentioned it, like there is something potent about that symbolism, which is pretty artistic, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. It's the kind of thing that makes the comic more sophisticated than a typical kids comic, you know? Because, like, there are... I have read quite a few other, uh, like, middle grade and kids comics and stuff just to see, like, what's out there. And there are definitely comics where there's just something very overly simplistic about them you yeah. know they, they don't have these these layers that something like smile has mm. um and of course there are others that that are good and and do do a good job uh, but i'd i'd say that smile is probably like you know the benchmark of that kind of more considered storytelling in yeah. a comic that is aimed at younger readers and it, it doesn't browbeat you it doesn't like hit you over the head like there's no gigantic splash page of her leaving the dentist to like symbolize that she's moving on with a different phase of her life or anything mm. it's just part of the flow of the storytelling and when you put everything together you, you put her leaving her dentist and juxtapose it with her getting together with her new friends and dancing and having a fun time. You know, that that pretty much says it all. Like, it, it's all on the page, and you don't really need a whole lot of words to explicate the moment for the reader. And uh, Reina doesn't really use that many words these last few pages. It's, it's all very minimal because the, the pictures do all of the storytelling and tell you everything that you need to know. And she does it in a way that is just very effective and artistic. Mm-hmm. On that note, I did also want to mention one other thing that I had thought of as I was, um, as I was listening to you, but you know, to go back to one of the things that we were talking about earlier, where I I was mentioning how I appreciated that this version of Reina, you know, assuming that it's based on her and the real events of her life, it it's one that isn't necessarily a, a no-holds-bar interpretation of what her life was like, but it's still pretty honest right and mm-hmm. one of the things that i appreciate is that when she when she meets this new boy sean sean becomes this fixture for her as she spends all this time and energy just crushing on this kid right and i think with a lot of books you know there's the tendency to end the story with and they end up together and you know and she's happy now because that's what happens when at the end of these stories that's that's what a happy ending looks like and the thing is their relationship they they actually reconnect later on when they're in high school and she even talks about it where it doesn't ever become romantic but they just become good friends with one another Mm -hmm. and they they're able to exist in this friend group without all this consideration and emphasis placed on crushing on each other or her you know being with him right and 
I just I I thought that was a really cool track to take because uh, again the the more conventional kind of ending that you could give a story like this is oh this this ends with her braces coming off and uh it's an ugly duckling story where she's finally beautiful now and she gets the guy <laughs> and all this good stuff right but it's it's not really about that it's just about her being comfortable with herself being okay like growing into her own confidence and it's not about her you know being with this boy it's just about her managing life and being okay and and that's what the journey from you know childhood to adult is is like learning to be secure in yourself and okay with yourself mm-hmm. from what i can tell pretty sure most of these events are autobiographical i was looking at i think it was her website she's got like an author's page with a faq or something answers some questions that her readers have often asked of her i think the thing that stood out to me to kind of indicate like how much of this was really her experience was when she talked about the incident with getting pantsed because that was something that really did happen to her and she said that she's not friends with those people anymore <laughs> yeah yeah i mean <laughs> yeah see like i believe it it's 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 an honest presentation of of these things that happened in her life uh so you know i'm sure there's like some liberties here and there but i i i I imagine for the most part it's it's an accurate telling of what her life yeah exactly yeah maybe maybe some people are composites of other people or she changed names or something but yeah yeah maybe she conveniently left out that in high school they accidentally killed a drifter and like had to hide the body and it's a deep dark secret that they all keep with one another that would be a heck of a twist that would be a heck of a twist (laughs) (laughs) the volume of uh ray natalga meyer's next book where they kill a hobo (laughs) (laughs) oh man (laughs) yeah i think we uh covered all of the themes there um were there any other themes that you wanted to, or, or scenes that you wanted to go over uh, or any other themes that you wanted to go over? Uh, I don't think so. One, maybe this isn't really a theme, but I guess one thing that crossed my mind as we were preparing to do this episode on Smile was that just thought it was kind of maybe unusual to think that we're about to or we're in the midst of doing a few podcasts on like teenage life basically um and it just made me think of like how different stories handle teenage life and coming of age tales and growing up and and that sort of thing because recently or this year we've been going through deadly class and and that's very different kind of fictionalized teenage life Mm. last episode we talked about the intimates which i would say was a pretty good capsule of teens except you know with the trappings of the superhero and science fiction kind of world but 
as far as like the emotional authenticity, it it felt pretty believable. And then this week, today, we're we're talking about Smile, which is the most grounded and most realistic of them all, uh, because it's a memoir. And then next week, we're gonna cover some manga, and and one of the ones that we're gonna talk about is My Hero Academia, which is another. No, 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 no. Say oh. it right. Say it right. Oh, oh. <laughs> <coughs> Boku no Hero Academia. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh, so good, eh? <laughs> but yeah, I got. I mean, in addition to that, I think some of the other books we'll be talking about next week have, you know, teen protagonists. But I feel like with my hero, that's another one where it it is a school setting. Um, but it's it's very. Like, well, I'll, I'll save the discussion on that for the next episode, but it just got me thinking about how we've been doing these different discussions on stories about teenagers. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that or if there was a story that either resonated with you or, or just felt more authentic. Like, does the fact that Smile is a memoir automatically make it the most authentic teen story out of all the ones that we've read? Or do you think that there's merits to be found in the other works of fiction? I mean, I think all of the things that we've discussed have absolutely had merits in regards to what they have to say about teen life, right? Regardless of whether the setting is a superhero high school or an assassin high school, or, you know, uh, Raina Talgemeier's actual own lived experiences. Um, I do think the more straightforward, um, honest and open telling of Raina's life story does make it something that resonates more with me personally. Um, Especially the idea of, well, okay, I'll say that the fact that she doesn't really hold punches when it comes to how she views this version of herself as a middle school kid or a high school kid and the things that she, she did that she wasn't necessarily proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that sort of vulnerability and honesty does a lot to to make it more resonant, right? Yeah. Like I think you can look at something like the intimates and I I'm not I wouldn't say that, you know, it's not something that isn't emotionally resonant, but because it doesn't come from something as personal uh as, as you know something as personal or as revealing as something that you actually did there's there's a bit of a distance that exists there right mm-hmm. so i do think that i can look at these experiences and i can 
look at her life and say, yeah, you know, there for the grace of God go I, right? I can, I definitely see things that she's, see myself in the things that she's done. I, I, I certainly see, I can certainly sympathize with having difficult relationships in your life and having to put up with people that, don't necessarily do much to help you feel good about yourself. You know, just putting up with uh, uh, difficult people in your lives and, and wanting to just have an open, honest conversation about it and accepting that sometimes people just drift apart and they just grow up and it's okay. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I think it's an important book for for that kind of message to tell people that, it, you know, it's look, it's important that you stick it out with the people in your life. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's also equally OK to accept that sometimes in life you're just going to go your own way and it's like you were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be this big uh, Shakespearean tragedy or anything like that. It's just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. and I think young people need to see that those are, it's okay for that, you know? It's, that's not something that you have to feel a, a, a super intense amount of guilt for or, um, you know... Uh, not necessarily trouble yourself with, but you know, just to understand that this is these are universal things that happen to to everyone. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. do you have any other final closing words, or you want to move on to our recommendations? Well, I guess I'll just make it quick, but. We can go and uh, try to do our 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 rating system. So <laughs> I'm gonna see if we can try to make this work, man. Okay, okay. All right. So is this something that you would leave on the shelf? Is this something that you would buy off a discount bin? Is this something you would borrow from a library, or is this something that you'd be okay buying at full price? I would be okay buying it at full price. Same here, man. Like, of all the stuff that's out there that you could buy, this is something that I would buy off the shelf, full retail, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. And here's the other thing about a lot of these young readers' graphic novels. They're a lot better value than paying $3.99 or $4.99 for a big two comic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, granted, uh, the copy I have of this was a first edition, so I don't know if inflation has caused the cover price to increase, but I got my copy of Smile, at, and the cover price of mine is ten ninety nine. And this is a you know over 200-page book, so it's a really good value if you're just purely going by quantity. Yeah, yeah. I mean... 
the version I got from the library is a hardcover, and it's like twenty twenty five bucks. But you know, I got no problem paying twenty five bucks for a hardcover that I like. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes sense because you need something that'll that'll uh, be sturdy, especially if uh, you have a kid who's gonna read it over and over. Exactly. Exactly. But I will say this, uh, just as a little side note, when I uh, borrowed this edition from the library, uh, I was like flipping through it, and uh, between one of the pages, there was a Cheerio stuck in there. Oh man, <laughs> kids be nasty, dude. Actually, it wasn't in the book. It was like right on the the edge on the outside, so I guess I could kind of ignore it, but it's still gross. That's that's pretty gross. At, like, you, at least it wasn't in the middle of the book, you know? <laughs> did you uh, just flick it off? Yeah, I had to. I wasn't going to keep it there. That's just You weren't going to you weren't going to let it uh, age for the next reader to appreciate. I wasn't going to let it fossilize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, sir. I just imagine you like reading it and then a, a a dirty old Cheerio falls out of your book and then Pepper goes over and eats it. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'd be gross. <laughs> I mean, fortunately for me, Pepper doesn't do that. <laughs> like, she, it's it's rare that she's ever walked up to anything on the street and tried to eat it. That's good, man. That's it, good. It is. It is. Like, it's one of the things that convinces me that she's smarter than most dogs. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of dogs start licking or even eating <laughs> things that are a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You want to go into the recommendations? Yeah. So, first of all, obviously, the easy ones to point to are Reina's other books, Drama, Sisters, Ghosts, and Guts. Uh-huh. I haven't read all of those. Heck, I haven't read most of those, to be honest. And, of course, you also did those Babysitter's Club uh, graphic novels. The only one of those I've actually read is Drama, which I did enjoy. It's been a long time since I read it because I, I read that when it first came out, borrowed it from the library. Drama is about, it's another like high school teen life story about kids in a drama club. I don't remember the details super well, but that one isn't a memoir. It's just more of a, you know, a realistic fiction story yeah but from what i do know sisters is a sort of companion piece to smile because that's another uh autobiographical story about her as a teenager um getting along with her sister i think it had been on my radar but i just never got around to checking it out but since we just read smile i think I think I do want to make more of an effort to go seek out sisters and read some more of her stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think because of the way that they do the covers, I feel like guts is a part of it too. Like I, uh, I yeah, it could be, I, I yeah. don't remember. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, you're right. I just looked it up and, and guts is about, it's another uh, autobiographical story. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like it's about her stomach problems and adventures in food and school <laughs> and changing friendships. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, like, the thing about this is 
I this is the first Reina Talgemeier comic I've ever read, and even though I even though it might not sound uh, great to recommend a, books that I haven't read from her, I'm fully confident that those other books are yeah. of the same like top notch quality. So I I have no problem recommending those books to uh, you guys who are listening. And uh, I do think I'm going to check those out. I do want to read some more of her stuff. Like, I really did genuinely enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, in terms of... Uh, in terms of other works that sort of capture the essence and spirit of this book, I had a hard time coming up with something... I I didn't really know what until we started talking about the uh, until we started doing this podcast actually and once I really thought about it I was like oh you know what I would actually recommend Bluey and uh, that's it's an animated series it's an animated Australian series about a family of dogs and it's something where there it's they're all episodic. Episodic means each each episode is self-contained, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a it's an episodic series. Uh, there's three seasons, and I mentioned earlier this was a series it was a series written by parents with the intention of creating something that parents could watch with their kids, as opposed to something just for kids. And it's not really something that is. As a series, it's not something that's meant to it's not meant to like teach your kids a lesson, not you know, not not in terms of anything academic. It's really more about it's really more of a series that explores emotional growth uh, mm-hmm. and what it's like to grow up and you know to move from being a, a toddler and a child to to being, you know, emotionally healthy ch- uh, children so uh i would highly recommend that series it's it's something that i just came across by accident but i absolutely love the show so there we go yeah that's my recommendation. The, the handful of episodes that you showed me on youtube that i checked out were pretty enjoyable and really artistically crafted yeah you got anything else uh one book that is also a uh, middle grade reader book I would recommend is it's called New Kid by Jerry Craft. This was something that came out in 2019. It's a story about a middle schooler, uh, an African American kid who ends up enrolling or his parents enroll him at a private school where he has to adjust to a new situation uh, and deal with a bunch of white people who are, you know, just doing white people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're not necessarily emotionally sensitive to his presence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a story that I, I think it feels like it, it could be for people who are maybe even younger than than Smile. Uh, I could be wrong. It's 
it's been a while since I, I read the book. I just felt like it seemed maybe a little bit uh, less complex emotionally, maybe. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I think the the storytelling, for some reason, it, it just felt simpler uh, than something like Smile. But I'd have to reread New Kid. But the thing about New Kid that makes it memorable to me is just the, the story of it. You know, it's story about like a fish out of water, but there's this social commentary because of the, it's not like necessarily overt racism, but I think it's the kind of racism that any... It just comes with ignorance. <laughs> yeah, it, like any any minority will experience it, you know? It's like, even even like us, right, in San Francisco, living in a pretty diverse city, I think we've definitely uh, met our fair share of people who, you know, just... <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic about it, man, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. I was just thinking of a specific incident. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the incident, dude? You. <laughs> this is. Are, are you are, setting are you, me up, or do you remember what I'm talking about? Are you thinking about the time we went for a walk? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Story time, everybody. Story time. Albert's. Albert and Drew's story time. It's. It was a pretty bizarre walk that we went on. It was me, you, and Shanus, and we were just walking. Uh, we were actually coming towards the end of our walk, and this older woman walks up to us, and, you know, it seems pretty innocuous initially because she's just really enamored with Pepper, and she's really, you know... Uh, just fawning over Pepper is what she's doing. So it's like, okay, th this is an old woman. She just likes my dog. It's fine. Whatever, right? And, you know, if we just keep the conversation to the dog, that's that's really kind of it. So she initially asks something like, oh, do you know what breed she is? And, you know, I, I, I give her the best uh, information that I, I have. I just tell her, oh, I think she's some sort of chihuahua mix. I, I really don't know. I've never really done any testing, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of assumed that that's where that conversation ends. Like, there really wasn't much to say after that. But immediately from that, she goes on to ask, and what ethnicity are you? <laughs> no, and, no, she said, what what nationality Oh, yeah, are what you? nationality are you? And, you know, we, the three of us just stand there in stunned silence because I don't know what you were thinking, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to humor her, but I feel like this opens the door to something worse. But, okay, let's go for it. And I go, well, I'm, I am I was born in Hong Kong, and, and that's kind of where I stop my part of the conversation. And she goes over to Drew, and she's like, and what about you? You seem to be mixed or something. Yeah, and, and the way she said it <laughs> sounded like, the way she was talking about Pepper when she said Pepper was mixed. Yeah, yeah. It was really uncomfortable and weird because it was just like, and what are you, dear lad? You seem to be of some unknown origin. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I mean, I've definitely had white people ask me that before. Like, what nationality are you? Yeah. And my, in my mind, I'm always, like, the first thing that comes to my mind is, 
I'm American. That's my nationality. Yeah. I'm American. Yeah. yeah. But I know what they mean. Yeah. They want to know, like, what kind of Asian are you? <laughs> and, <it's> like... <laughs> and then that's not even the end of it. Like, that was already, like, that was already the Band-Aid getting peeled off really quick. Because it's just a really cringy, stingy moment. But she looks at Shanice and she goes, and you're obviously white or European or no, something. No, she, she said, you're obviously American. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. our friend Shanice is Jewish, and I guess he yeah. just looks white. Yeah. But it was just a moment where I was like, lady, you're just making this worse for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was, that, was biz- that was a very bizarre interaction, man. It really was. It really was. I would have preferred it if she had just kept it about the dog. Oh, oh, wait. And I forgot to add. So after she, you know, looks at me and looks at Drew and, you know, asks about our Asian-ness. And she, at at one point she goes, oh, I have a daughter-in-law who's Asian. You know, (laughs) as if to say that that makes it okay for her to ask us this (laughs) in like this painfully uncomfortable way. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like when I said, "Oh yeah, I'm Chinese American." In her mind, she's like, "Okay, my daughter-in-law is Chinese American. Now we're we have something in common." <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, I'm gonna chalk it up to her just being old, and and maybe not necessarily. Like, I doubt that it came from a malicious place as much as it just came from her being old and kind of clumsy in terms of how yeah. she's going to try to talk with us. Yeah. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt there. But it, it was just really weird. <laughs> it Extremely was Extremely just... weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, New Kid by Jerry Craft. It, it definitely has incidents in that story that remind me of that lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we met. Yeah. And the like, funny thing is, this lady also had, I guess she was out on a walk with her friend, too. And I kind of wonder what her friend was thinking, if her friend was like, this isn't normal, because she didn't speak the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her friend wasn't even standing next to this older lady. Yeah. <laughs> her friend, like, kind of, like, walked a few more steps as if to, like, convey the body language, hey, let's just keep on, keep it yeah. moving. Yeah, yeah. But she didn't say anything to us at all. <laughs> And it, it was a little bit uh, dark at that point because it was dusk, yeah. so I, yeah. I couldn't really get a good look at her friend's expression. expression. Yeah. She was just dead silent the whole time. Like, I could easily picture her cringing, like, yeah. shut up, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not how normal people talk to other normal people. <laughs> uh, that's one for the books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I would definitely recommend New Kid by Jerry Craft because it, it is a book that I think will help people uh, grow to be more empathetic and understanding of people who have different backgrounds, you know? Like, it, yeah. that that's a book that I think is valuable. And it's not like it's a preachy book or anything because it's totally story-based and character-based uh, or character-driven. But it's it's something that, like a lot of good fiction does, just helps build understanding and build empathy it allows you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's not you 
and it's well written enough where you can you can believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just thought about what you said and how it's story based. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. And I wonder if maybe there are some people who need that sort of preachiness because. <laughs> I wonder if you showed that to a certain segment of the population and they completely missed that point entirely, right? <laughs> you know, um, I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for New Kid, uh-huh. and there are people that tried to ban the book. Of course. <laughs> of yeah. course there are. Of course yeah. there are. <laughs> yep. So here's, I'll just read you the section uh, about the controversy and ban of the book from Wikipedia. In the context of a backlash against racial justice protests in the U.S., New Kid was accused of promoting critical race theory. This accusation is unsubstantiated as author Jerry Kraft was not even aware of the academic theory when writing the book. In 2020, a Pennsylvania school district banned the book as an educational resource together with other anti-racism books. This ban was overturned in September 2021 after protests by parents and students. The school district in Katy, Texas, banned the book and postponed a virtual talk by Kraft to elementary school students scheduled to take place in October 2021. The removal of the book from the curriculum of Katy Independent School District followed a mobilization by parents who signed a change.org online petition alleging that the book violated a new state law on how American history should be portrayed in schools. <laughs> Love this country. <laughs> <laughs> Love this place. I'm just, ugh, just makes, gives me tingles. What nationality <laughs> are you, Albert? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like, Dude, I don't I don't get why people want to ask us stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it, like there's this entire thing where it's like, oh, we we talk about race way too much. Well, it's because if we don't remind people that there's a way to talk to other people that's normalizing that's I'm not even going to say that that conversation was one in which I felt offended or or persecuted or whatever but it's just something that highlights that this person obviously never really like had a serious discussion about how to just talk to other people of other ethnicities in a normal way about it yeah you know yeah (laughs) it's i might as well go up to a stranger and just be like so what's your sex life like you know (laughs) like you should have asked that her that. The conversation? Yeah. So you uh, you bone any hot dudes lately? <laughs> have you been laying pipe? <laughs> it's just <laughs> like it's not a sensitivity thing. It's just this saves all of us from feeling weird about this. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Did you want to finish off with your other recommendation? Uh, I think. Did I have another one? I I don't think said, I had another one. Earlier, you you said pumpkin heads. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, there's uh, Pumpkin Heads by Faith Aaron Hicks, and that's... And Rainbow Roll. And Rainbow Rowell, yeah. Roll. Roll? Rowell. I'm not sure if it's Roll or Rowell. Yeah. And uh, that was something that Drew posted up on his Instagram, and we just kind of came upon it separately, uh, independently of one another. Uh, and I think I just happened upon it at the library, and it's it's definitely something where the pictures and the cartooniness of the style uh, attracted me to it. And when I read the synopses, uh, you know, it's it's a story of two young uh, adults as they enter their last year of this pumpkin festival and the adventure that they go through on their last day of work together. And, you know, it's, it's not autobiographical and it's not, uh, it's not a story that's anywhere near as serious uh, or, or as introspective as something like Smile, but I do think in terms of spirit that does it, it, it occupies a similar space as Smile in that it's just a lighthearted, fun, enjoyable reading experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do enjoy that. Yeah, that was a good one. It was. I like Rainbow Roll and Faith Aaron Hicks. Yeah. I do have one more recommendation since you reminded me about Faith Aaron Hicks. But her most recent book is a book called Ride On. And that's a comic about a girl who i think she's 12 so like a middle school age girl uh who is super into horse riding but at the beginning of the story or i I guess i should say right before the story begins she had some kind of falling out with one of her friends um at the other at this other horse stable and she just joins this different one at the beginning of the story so that she's no longer you know with this really competitive friend of hers but it's a story i would say that's also centered around growing up and navigating friendships because when the main character begins in right on she's kind of you know been burned by this friendship that basically ended over uh, a dispute and there's something uh you know sort of heartbreaking about it so she's learning how to navigate this new environment um with the new with different people at this horse stable uh learning how to make new friends and and that sort of thing it's a another really good comic for middle grade readers i would say very um appealing her her art is awesome and it's also one of those comics where it's for all ages but i think as an adult i really enjoy it because the storytelling is is done so well and the craftsmanship of it you know it it has that level of sophistication that that i crave in my comics where it Mm. it it doesn't Mm. you know talk down to you just because the main audience is young kids. kids yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i really do i like i don't know if you would consider what we're in as like a golden age of like young adult comics but we certainly are seeing a lot of them now and there's a yeah. higher level of sophistication to them now 
Um, like I think animation a few years back was seeing a similar sort of uh, not renaissance, but you know, period of creative uh, flourishment. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that's a word, but um, it, and and it, a lot of it stems from kids who grew up watching or reading stories and then growing up and applying a level of sophistication to the kids' stories that they're telling to the next generation, right? And, you know, maybe at the time when we were kids and we were looking at, you know, Transformers or whatever, I'd still say that there were stories here and there, the occasional story here or there where you felt like they were touching on something bigger than uh, whatever, you know, toys they were trying to sell or action that they were trying to sell. And, and, you know, now that you're, we're adults, uh, it's interesting to go and watch and read some of these uh, comics or, or shows as an adult um, by, that are being made by our, I guess our our peers or people in our same age group, maybe mm-hmm. even a little younger, and to see what they're applying to these stories. And in some cases, it's genuinely impressive. No kidding. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, then I would implore you, those of you who are listening to us, if you could, you know, give us a like or a thumbs up or a high you know, rating on whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on. They just announced this week that the Twitter code was released, I think. And, you know, positive likes uh, tend to boost us uh, content creators or podcasters on on the algorithm. So if you could do that for us, we would greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, by all means, you can email us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram at between the gutters or, you know, tweet at us for however long Twitter is going to be around. (laughs) That's right. You know, I was thinking maybe, uh, with the influence of books like smile, maybe in like another 10 years, we're going to have a generation of comic book podcasters where they talk about the exclusively focus on, the books of their youth, the way that we focused typically on like superhero stuff. Yeah. That'd be interesting, man. I think that'd be great. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it totally makes sense. There's everybody. Nostalgia is not relegated to, you know, only specific segments of the population. Everybody has some form of nostalgia and uh, everybody has things in their past that they venerate right so i would totally be interested in hearing what people have to say about these works that they grew up reading and to hear what discoveries and insights they've gleaned now that they're more mature and now that they're more sophisticated readers you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so. definitely and speaking of venerable works in the comics canon next week's episode we're going to be talking about a few 
works that <laughs> certain fans do venerate quite a bit. Yes. So we're going to be doing another Shonen Manga episode. Funny thing is, is that last year, it turns out that our episode on Shonen Manga was apparently the most listened to episode of the year, according to our Spotify stats. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided we'd do another one of those this year. We're going to be talking about a couple of the pretty big, popular, famous Shonen Manga. Specifically, we'll be covering the first volumes of One Piece, Naruto, My Hero Academia, and this other one that's more recent, one that I actually personally enjoy called Freerun. Those first three are pretty popular comics, well-beloved by millions the world over. We shall see what Between the Gutters has to say about those venerable works. <laughs> those venerable or venereal works. <laughs> You see what I, I did there? I set him up. You knock him down. Back to back. <laughs> it's Mormon time. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next week. Peace.